Welcome to the 180 Podcast. You are listening to a teaching of the 180, a new church committed to learning to love Jesus and love like Jesus. Our prayer is that God would use this teaching to help you grow closer to Him and that you would feel moved to join us in person, where you can grow in community with the larger 180 family. Bienvenue à la balado-diffusion de l'Église 180. Vous écoutez un enseignement de l'Église 180, une nouvelle Église qui s'est engagée à apprendre à aimer Jésus et à aimer comme Jésus. Notre prière est que Dieu utilisera cet enseignement afin de vous aider à vous rapprocher de Lui et que cela vous donne envie de vous joindre à nous en personne où vous pourrez vous épanouir au sein de la communauté qu'est la grande famille de l'Église 180. Hey, it's good to see you all. Uh, I just want to say a special welcome to you, especially if you're here for the first time. Uh, my name is Dominic. I'm one of the leaders here, and uh, it's really a blessing to, to learn together. And I know this time of year, for some of you, thanks so much. Uh, I, I know that at this time of year, maybe some of you are, are kind of resetting your lives, and you feel like, hey, we're ready to be back at church and to learn together and to grow together, and we're happy that you're doing that with us. Uh, if you're online, a special welcome to you. And, and actually, we, we often do this at church. Like at the beginning of a, of a new season, we sometimes begin a new teaching series. Kind of a time to help you learn and grow. And oftentimes, especially if you've never read the Bible, you can pick up the Bible and be overwhelmed. Because you're like, where do I even start? Like you open it up, you're like, there's books. It's a lot of books in there, right? So a teaching series is a way to help you maybe focus your reading as well. So one of the things I'm going to do, even as part of the series, is to encourage you to read a few books in the Bible that are very you know, tight. There, it's a section. So you don't feel like overwhelmed. And so to begin, I want to ask you a question about change. I know you all love change. I know you, you're, you're those kinds of people. The fall is a season that whether you like change or not, it's imposed on us. Change just happens. The weather changes. But I want you to think of, in your mind, you don't have to yell it out loud, so no hecklers, okay? I want you to think in your mind of one thing you would change that you think would make the world a better place. One thing that you would change that you think would make the world a better place. Think about it. I was thinking about it this week. I have a lot. One thing you could change. You think this for sure would make the world a better place. You know, I, I first thought less Italian restaurants across the board. We need less Italian food, less Italian restaurants. Some of you are like, we love that. We love Italian food. Some of you would say, less government. We don't need governments, too much involved with governments. Some of you may be thinking about something more personal. Hopefully you're thinking of something in your own life that you'd say, God, I think if something changed in me and other people saw that, the world would be a better place. That's not how we usually think about change. We always think of something outside of us, like something else should change, someone else should change. And in this series, one of the things we're going to talk about and we're going to encourage you to think about is change and how God uses change to get our attention. There's all kinds of things that God does sometimes or He allows to happen that we're not ready for and it gets our attention and we realize, oh, wait a second, God is trying to teach me to realign things in a way that are going to honor Him. You know, I think about when you have a child. You really can't prepare for that change. It just kind of happens to you and you, you adjust very quickly and in those moments you're like, okay, God, what is it going to mean to be a parent, to do the right thing, all those types of change. And I know something that you know that whenever we think about change, our natural response tends to be that we resist it. I resist change. I know some of you resist change. I know that each of us in some ways believe that nobody gets the right to tell us when to change. 
Whether it's pre-COVID, after COVID, two years from now, five years from now, none of us will ever get comfortable with anyone telling us what to do. No one. And I've said this before, part of saying yes to Jesus is that we are learning that Jesus gets to tell us what to do. Now, if you hate change, one of the most dangerous days of your life would be the day you met Jesus. Because you would know that he would say things to you and you'd be like, oh my goodness, if he's going to ask me to change something, I, I can't. I'm going to run away, right? Right away. And there's a lot of people that end up just thinking, oh, they could be religious, they could have some words, they like some music, worship music, but they never really deal with the fact that Jesus at his core is inviting people to say yes to the kind of change that leads to transformation. That's what Jesus is going to do every time he's teaching people. He's going to invite people to say yes to him, and they're like, I'm scared, I'm overwhelmed. So think about the things maybe this season that might change because God is trying to draw you closer to himself. I really believe that for some of you, God has some amazing things in store. God's going to transform things in your life that you don't even know how to pray for. God has incredible things in store for us this next season. But all of those things will require that we're ready to change. Because I've said this before, and if you want to remember something that's really, really essential to the Christian faith, is that before God calls us to a place that's further than where we are, He always calls us to a place that's deeper than where we are. Okay, it's almost like a tree. The further the branches of a tree grow out, the bigger the trunk of the tree must be. And I meet so many people that they want to they experience God's blessing, they want to know that God is at work, they want to experience God's prosperity, however you want to say it, but they just want to be like a small trunk with all of God's blessings. But change is how God teaches us to be people who are rooted in a deeper way so that we know how to welcome how to use, how to encourage others with the blessings that he has in store for us. And we're going to do this for the next few weeks by looking at two important leaders in the Bible that have to deal with change and leadership in a world that is a complete mess. It's a complete disaster. Now, if you're new to Christianity, this is kind of a, your introduction, you don't have a Bible yet, please talk to us, we want to give you a Bible. Uh, or you're just like, how do I even kind of learn about some of this stuff? I, I want to tell you, this is a good morning to be here. Because in, in part of the introduction, I want to show you a little bit about the Bible that you might not know, about how the Bible works and how you kind of learn about change and God's blessings in change when you learn to read the Bible properly. Because trust me, if you don't believe me, just go online and you'll see all kinds of people using the Bible in very creepy ways. So you know that some of those people are you. But stop doing that. Uh, but I'm going to encourage you to change and to... I'm kidding. Okay, so I, I want to show you that these two books that we want to look at, the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, maybe you, have, you know people who named their kids that, Ezra and Nehemiah, pretty cool names. They're found in a section of the Bible, which is called the Hebrew Bible. It's the Old Testament. And left to ourselves, we don't usually know how to read the Old Testament because we're like, there's a lot of numbers and names of people I can't pronounce and I'm tired and Netflix. Yes, Netflix, right? Whatever you do, that's what happens in your head, right? So I want to show you, if you open a Bible in the table of contents, you're going to see all of these books that are part of the Hebrew Bible, which we call the Old Testament, and then the New Testament. And the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, I circled them there for you, are also around the books of e Esther, a section of, of, the, of the Old Testament called Lamentations, the book of Daniel. These are books that are written for us. They're kind of telling us of a time when the people of God in the Bible are about to experience change they do not expect. They're about to enter a season of change that we, in a sense, get to listen in on and learn about so that we can understand that how God was faithful in their lives, God promises to be faithful in our lives. 
And so I just want to encourage you that if you open a Bible and you look at this, I'm going to encourage you to read Ezra and Nehemiah. Now, you might have more time, and you kind of want to go further. You can read some of those other books. But this time period is about 500 years or so before even Jesus is born. That means that Jesus would have learned about Ezra and Nehemiah. That means Jesus and the people in the Bible in the New Testament would have learned about these stories as they were learning to follow God. Now, one of the most beautiful things that happens in our lives when we learn about something that happened a long time ago is we realize that we're not the center of the world. It's just a good habit. It's a good spiritual practice to know that we are not the center of everything that's ever happened because Christianity existed before you were here, and it's going to exist after you're here. And I think that we're living in a time right now, it's very interesting, that we're living in a time where almost all the pressures around us, whether it's health issues, education, the government, I think there's an election coming up, wink, wink, okay, all of these things going on, they almost make us feel that the whole world revolves around how we feel in this moment. And then you start to study the Bible, and you start to read about how God was at work in other times, and you realize that no matter how difficult this season feels, sometimes the people of God that we learn about in the Bible went through things that were so much more difficult than what we're going through. Like, whenever you're feeling like you're in a season when you want to say, like, hey, this feels like persecution, read Ezra and Nehemiah. It kind of resets really what we mean by pressures and violence and revenge, what it means to be people under a structure where there was kings and rulers that crushed people who spoke too loud, people disappeared. It's a wholly different mindset sometimes. So learning about this might help us to say, God, we need help because we live in a world where we get lost in our own world. We get lost in thinking like everything is about how I feel right now. And maybe in this season of change, God's going to say to each of us, hey, hey, I want you to remember, I've been with my people for a very long time. My people have navigated the fall of the Roman Empire, and we are still here singing about Jesus. Just remember that. When you have an overwhelming week and you're not sure, you know, about next steps or decisions and you need wisdom and you're praying, just remember, okay, wait a second. We're learning about change in other times in history. That might just be what we need right now. So Ezra and Nehemiah are these books that, like, they thrust us into this time period where the people of God are going to experience all kind of change. And they, the people of God, are experiencing great oppression because of, you saw the slide up there, because of a ruler called Cyrus. Often he's called Cyrus the Great for a lot of different reasons. And throughout the series... I'll kind of tell you a little bit more about Cyrus and the, the empire that they're in. And this is the time where God's people are living under the oppression of the Persian Empire. And I'm going to read the passage for us and explain it a bit more to you. This is what it says. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken to Jeremiah, which is another book in the Old Testament, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus to make a proclamation. Some big proclamation is going to happen. You know, you're expecting, kill all the Jewish people. Kill all God's people. That's not what happens. This is what happens instead. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all of the kingdoms of the earth, Cyrus says, and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judea. Now, if you want to remember the beginning of these books, I need to ask you a very simple question. Think about this. What could happen in your life that would be so bad that would make you stop believing in God? Just think about that. What's one thing that could happen in your life this season that would cause you to say, you know what, I just can't believe in God anymore. I just can't. I'm done with Christianity. I'm done with religion. I'm done with the Bible. What would that have to be? I mean, if you're a parent, you're like me, you feel like 
if our kids get sick or we get close to feeling our family being disoriented, we're like, it's pretty close because you're praying and you're trusting God. I even went to church on the, the, the beginning of September and why are bad things happening to me? What could happen? You need to know that everybody in the Bible would probably have answered that question in a very similar way. If there's one thing that would make someone in the Bible start to not believe in God again, it would be to be slaves under another empire. To be exiles is the big biblical word. To be exiles and to be slaves under a different ruler who had not only killed people, but had said to the people, you're now going to worship our gods. We don't care about your God. If your God was real, he would have protected you, so he's not. Too bad. Just trust me. If you're praying with your kids at night and telling them, hey, we're going to keep believing, your kids will look at you and say, are you insane? How can you keep believing in God? Our grandparents are dead. Our great-grandparents are dead. The people we love are gone. We are poor and we are slaves. And Cyrus is the ruler. And you're trying to tell us to believe in God? Think about living at this time. I I'm the first to say, like, it would have been a, a tough, tough situation. Persecution might not even have captured the feeling of living at this time. Maybe if you're honest, you'd be like, I think I would have walked away, man. I would have been out. I'm out of here. Or you would have been one of those people, maybe you would have been fighting. You know, sometimes you have those seasons in your life, you're like, I'm going to keep fighting till we get it right. We're going to tell Cyrus that our God's going to kill him one day. Maybe you make a picket sign. Maybe you'd be a picketing person. You know picketing people? Picket, we're going to tell him. And Cyrus was like, oh, look at those nice people, the pickets. Tomorrow, let's kill them because they're too loud. Okay, we got that. Kill them. I don't know what you would do. But nobody expects in the midst of the most doubting, discouraged season of the life of the Jewish people, of these people, that God is about to do something new. That God is about to stir in this pagan ruler this idea that maybe he's kind of conquered everything, he's kind of amazing, maybe it's important for some of the people who are under my authority that they should go and build their temple and worship their God again. Let's just do that. This was very, very common in the ancient world. We're dealing with a time period, if you're taking notes, that was very pluralistic as it came to believing in gods. Okay, meaning like even rulers like Cyrus or even like the Roman emperor in ancient biblical times, they would be like, listen, I'm the most important god, but you guys can have your own. Like that would be the style. It'd be like, yeah, well, we're going to crush you and destroy your temple and burn your books and all that stuff, but once things are settled down, you can go back and do what you guys like to do. I don't know, burn candles, whatever you people do. Go do that. Okay, so that's the tension. I want you to feel that. Like, we are so blessed sometimes by living in a world where we can gather and worship and learn and sing to forget that there was a time where the people of God were like, we, we don't really know how we're going to do this. Like, what is the next step? And Cyrus awakens, is awakened by God's leading. Real great mystery, right? We're like, how did that happen? Why doesn't that happen more often, you know? Like, I wish we had the answer to that. It's a, it's a big book if you wrote that. But God decides that this is the moment he's going to do something special. And he says, through this proclamation, that the Jewish people get to go home. And not only that, something more beautiful happens. Cyrus has more good news. This is what he says next, okay? Any of us people among you, anyone that's living here in my empire, Cyrus says, among you, you may go up to Jerusalem as well. Not only he's going to build the temple, you guys, you can go do this yourselves. You're going to go to Jerusalem in Judah, in Judah and build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, which is what you've told us, right? The God who is in Jerusalem. And may, there, and may their God be with them. 
and in any locality where survivors may now be living, the people are to provide them with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with free will offerings for the temple of God in Jerusalem. Wow! Are you kidding me? How many of you would be like, I think this is a trick? I would be that right away. If you're a suspicious person, that's what you would think. You're like, yeah, okay. Cyrus is allowing us to go back to Jerusalem, our home, and people who don't care about it, they're going to help us? They're going to give us some things that are, not only give us some things, if you read on in the beginning of Ezra, right, that Cyrus also says, hey, by the way, you know when we were kind of destroying you people and took, burnt all your temple and stuff? We found some things in there that we think were important to you, so we kept them in a bag, like it's a Costco bag. And so we put them all there, and so we have them. So when you go back, we think you'll need them, so we'll give them back to you. So you can put them in your temple, like you can use those. People are like, what? They're about to taste of what it's like when God stirs change. When God says, hey, hey, I'm still here, and I'm going to stir in you now a desire to have me at the center of your lives again. But there's only one thing. They have to be willing to change. If there's one thing I hate more than anything in my whole life, okay, maybe it's not you, it's me, one thing I, is moving. How many of you hate moving, right? You're packing stuff, you have stuff that every time you move, you say you're going to throw out, but you keep it. Then you have friends that you invite to help you move and they don't show up. And now you're like, I hate them too. And you have all a list of things that you think you have to do. Like, I'm so bad at moving. Some of you know this, that when I, once I moved, some people are in this room, they know this. Once I moved and we had a piano, I showed up to moving when I was moving in flip-flops. In like Le Gagun. Le Gagun, like Will, that's for you, Le Gagun. Okay, like the flip-flops with the, and, and I had a piano. And the people who were with me, they're like, are those the only shoes you have? I'm like, yeah, like you guys are here. Like it's going to be good, right? They're like, but we have to move a piano. We have to move. I hate moving. So even like the way I dress says I hate moving, okay? And all of a sudden you have the people in the story. They're like, this is so amazing. God has not forgotten us. God is with us. We can go back to the place where it all began. We're going to go back to Jerusalem. We're going to start to rebuild our lives. And they're like, just one thing. Like we have to get rid of all this stuff and move. If you don't like change, even good news sounds like bad news. If you don't want to change and grow up, even the blessings of God will sound like, oh, that's an inconvenience. Whoa, I got to register for church. That's a lot. I don't know. I can't. It's, I can't. I can't do that. Even the greatest news sounds like annoying news when you are not willing to change. And the people of God now are like, are you kidding me? This is going to be amazing. We're going to go back to Jerusalem, and they all know something that you might not know, that it's a four-month trek to Jerusalem from Persia. Four months. I won't visit you if you live in RDP. Like, I'm like, what, 40 minutes on the 40? What, are you kidding me? We don't, there's another church in that area. We don't come back here. Whatever. Like, I just think four months with people. Imagine, like, look around this room. Imagine traveling four months with some of these people. Four months with that? Four months with Mario. Mario, four months? I love you, but we're not going to make it. Four months, packing stuff, people in the village, selling stuff. You can't, you can't bring too much if it's four months. So you're like, hey, you, Bob, you're going to bring a cow. Okay, you're going to bring the camel. Okay, who's going to bring the candles? Who's going to bring? And then one of the people does what? Guess, what happens when you move with friends? They forget. 
You're like, where's the camel for the thing? Guys, I forgot to tell you about the camel. We don't have it. You, for four more months, I have to look at your face now that you forgot the camel. You read the Bible, and you're like, it's so nice. The Lord is there, and amen. Let's sing another song. And then you realize these are people who have to love each other as they love God. For four months. This was such a difficult transition where they realized that God was doing something new, but they had to deal with the fact that they didn't want to be inconvenienced. So great. I hope someone else goes. And we know that as you read through and as we go through the series, that some people stay back. So we're like, listen, do we really have to go to Jerusalem to experience God's presence? Isn't the Lord with us when we watch on YouTube? Isn't it the same? Some of you got that? Okay. So it's the same. It's the same. He's not going to care. He knows what? He knows our what? It's a good church. It's a learning church right here. He knows our hearts. We don't have to. Everybody knows. Yes, God knows our heart. Yes, God is with us. But when we gather to worship him there, he models for the world that he is our God and that he was with us when everything was falling apart. And that even when things fell apart in our lives, we did not doubt his love for us. So we will go there. That's where they went. The, the pressure that people are feeling is so complex that even in the ancient world, we know that the Persians were such a powerful empire that there's many people who love God who don't even speak Hebrew anymore. Their language has been changed because of the pressures. And, and if you're watching from another province or another part of the world, like we in Quebec know that feeling. We know that the tensions of language more than anyone. Good, bad, beautiful, ugly, it's all there. We feel it. It's a big deal. And there's this moment where even in the book of Nehemiah, if you're reading Ezra and Nehemiah, like these two books that kind of talk about this time period, we're told that finally when the people start to learn about God, they don't even understand their Bible anymore. This is what we're told in the book of Nehemiah. It says this. It says, they read from the book of the law of God, making it clear, the Hebrew word is translating it, like they have to translate it for people and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. We are living in this time today. Where even people who say, I love God, I, I think I believe in God, I, I think God has been good to me, I think we're still like retranslating what it means to understand the ways of God in a time where many people don't really understand or know or can make sense of their own faith. Why do you think we do a teaching series called, you know, Christianity 201? Like, like why are we doing that learning? We're, we're trying to help people to be like, you know, I'm not sure I even understand really how to articulate why we love God so much. I'm not sure how to pass that on. I'm not sure how to share that. We live in a culture where, just like the people in Persia, they have been so overwhelmed by the changes of their world that they're like, we just have bits and pieces, but we're not really sure. Like, we don't even read our Bible, so we don't really know. We hope somebody helps us. A few years ago, there was a, an article done by the, the National Post. The National Post is primarily, I think, out of, out of Ontario, learning about Quebec. And there was an article about culture and language changes and how Quebec is such a secular place. And this is what the article, the article mentioned. Like, there's, basically, you can go to the title of the article. You'll just see it. It says this, Can Quebec's church-based curse words survive in a secular age? That what people know about Quebec more is that our curse words are church words. That's when people think about religion in Quebec. They think about faith and they think about all the swear words that they have that are a mockery of a church that wasn't there when people needed it to be there, that didn't care when people needed someone to care for them. And instead of being there, the church took advantage of people. 
And I know we can start a whole movement to being like, I hate, I don't, or we can be part of doing something new. That's what this is about, by the way. And actually, there's even more studies that are being done, like, like people like Jean-Francois Royal, there you see him. He, he works at the museum, or used to work, at the Museum of, Religion of the Wor- Religions of the World. And he says, we are at the point where we have a generation of students who visit the museum and ask, who is the guy on the cross? Can you imagine? Like, we're starting there. There's a time period in the history of God's people where they felt all of this. It's during the time of Cyrus the Great. Where they're like, we don't even understand these words. Can somebody translate what any of this means for us? We think it was important. And all of a sudden, the people have to work their way. and They're moving and they're thinking and God is stirring in their hearts and things will change. And this is what we're told happens next. It's profound. It says, despite their fears of the people around them, they built the altar and sacrificed burnt offerings on it to the Lord both the morning and evening sacrifices, and they, in accordance with what was written, they celebrated the festival of tabernacles with the required number of burnt offerings prescribed for each day. Now, if you read this verse, it can kind of be like, whoa, that's, that's a lot going on. So I want to tell you something really important, that if you take some time this week and you read chapter 2 of Ezra, you will be confronted with a list of names and numbers that right away you're like, maybe I don't have to read this, and you're going to go to chapter 3, because it's just a lot of names. We know that about 42,000 people from Persia, they are going to make their way back to Jerusalem. They're going to make their way back. And there's a whole list of names of people's names and tribes and families and people who live in locations who get things together. And whenever I see a list like that in the Bible, I kind of too, like as much as I love the Bible and I teach the Bible, I'm like, I don't have a lot of time. Like, can I, do I have to read this? And I realize none of us like lists of names unless our names are in it. You ever meet people like that? Have you ever watched a movie with somebody who was involved in the movie and the credits are rolling? You're like, we're out of here. Who cares? They're like, no, no, let's sit and wait. I want to see my great friend's aunt's uncle. They did the graphics for this movie. And you're like, nobody cares. We only care about things of which we are the center. This is what the Bible always warns us about. And it's teaching us the fact that we're not the center of the story. And that when we read some of the people who went before us, these people went, and there's their names because they were the first ones to sacrifice. They were the first ones to go. They were the first ones to go thinking that Cyrus, maybe he's even lying. Maybe when he gets us there, he's going to kill us when we're there. Like, you have no idea. You're like, no, we're going to go. And they go, and they decide that they're going to be part of doing something that they have dreamed about doing, which is rebuild the temple. They're going to begin to rebuild the temple. Now, if you're taking notes, and if you're part of this church, you know this, that there's some things you have to know to understand how the Bible makes sense. Like, for example, if you play sports, anyone play sports here or know somebody who plays sports, or you don't do any of that because you're lazy, but you watch sports? Yeah? Okay. All of you here and on the internet, right? If you don't know what offside is, it's going to be hard for you to play sports too long. You have to know what it means to be offside. Some of you are like, I'm not sure what that is. Well, look it up, whatever. Sports have offside. There's certain words that you have to know to make sense of the whole story of what's happening. In Ezra and Nehemiah, there's one word you have to know, and it's the word temple. You have to, have to, have to, have to remember this word. The reason it's so hard to remember is because we don't care about anything that feels like a temple. Because we're so beyond that, because we're like, yeah, well, we don't need buildings. We don't need anything. We could just sit under the tree. It doesn't really matter. And if you think that, when you read the Bible, you're like, this is so dumb. Why do people do this? Why weren't they more like us? Because what the Bible's trying to teach us is the way they were so we can learn what they're going through. So if you can go to the slide on the temple, just go back a slide. 
Now, I have to slide about the temple. The temple was the greatest indicator of God's presence and his faithfulness to his people. The temple was the greatest visible indicator that the God of a people was real and faithful to them. Okay? So if the temple is destroyed, it's almost like your God's a loser. You're, you have a God, you don't have a temple. What's going on? So the people know that if God is really with them, this is the first thing they have to do. The first thing they have to do is not only the people know this, Cyrus knows this because Cyrus sends them back to build the temple. He doesn't say just go back and have fun. He says you can go back and build the temple of that region because that's where your God was. Cyrus is not really sure, and I don't think from all the scholars that you read, Cyrus is not thinking, oh, that's great. I'm going to come and worship the God of Israel. That's not what he's doing. He's like, if those people are happy and they have their God, and those people are happy with it and they have their God, then everybody's going to be happy and everybody can be friendly. The Jewish people have to begin to set things aside to build the temple. Do you know what a mockery it would have been from other people to say to them, like, you guys, you're going to build a temple to your God? What do you think they would say next? Your God. Where has your God been? You know many people, when they hear Cyrus's proclamation that they have to give of some of their resources to help these Jewish people that they hate, right, to go build it, they're like, why would we even have to give you anything? Your God's not even real. He is. He is real. He's been with us, and we, we believe that he's going to teach us something new now because things are about to change. And they go back, and they decide that this is what they're going to do. And as they go there, they travel, and they start, and, and we're going to go through this. You're going to see, like, they build the foundation first. They just start with the foundation, and they're just starting to. And the Bible tells us that people will mock them. And, and like we just read in the verse, that some of the people there, they're afraid of the people that live there. They're like, what if they, what if they get mad? Because everybody knows that when a group of people start to build their temple, it's a sign that their God's presence is something that they have to deal with in that place. And so even the other nations are aware, like, why are you building this temple here? We've been here. What's going on? Your God, didn't, didn't your God die when the Persians took over all the land and made you slaves? Didn't that happen? And I'm sure the people are like, yeah, like, we thought that, but God is changing things. Our God is starting to change things. And then they do something that is the most important thing that they do. They celebrate a festival called the Festival of Tabernacles. It's called different names in the Bible. It's called the Festival of Booths, Festival of Tabernacles. And I want you to remember one thing about this. I'm going to wrap up, okay? That as they make their way back to Jerusalem, they remind themselves that they have to go back to where it all began. I'm going to say that again. That as they make their way back to Jerusalem, they realize in their minds that for their children and their grandchildren and the people who've never even known their God, they're going to have to take them back to where it all began. And where it all began was with some of the festivals that God gave his people to celebrate when they were slaves in Egypt. And when he set them free, there are certain festivals. There were festivals of freedom, okay? Now think about it. Just think about a wedding that you've been to. Think about the best wedding you've ever been to. Okay, you got it in your mind? Best wedding ever? You're like, it was mine. Whatever. <laughs> okay, maybe it was, but, but maybe there's better. Like, think, of, think about the best, best party wedding you've ever been to, right? And then whatever that was, do that for seven days in a row. Okay? That's what it would have felt like to be part of one of these festivals. 
that they for seven days are called to bring all of their best food and to start to celebrate and to start to remember. And as part of that celebration, some grandfather guy would go to the mic, you know, like at a wedding or at a party. Hello, hello, I'm the aunt, uncle's friend that was asked to give a speech. And you're like, dear Lord, it's going to be horrible. Okay, right? They say, and they start to say, I want to tell you about when God set us free here. And everybody in the room would stop dancing, stop singing. I, I want to tell you about when things were falling apart in our marriage and God showed up. I want to tell you about that. I want to tell you about when we didn't know what we were going to provide for our kids. We were struggling financially, and we weren't sure, and God started to change things. All of these festivals were festivals to take people back to where it all began. So their first trip, their trip out of Persia into Jerusalem, some people stayed home. They're like, those people, they weren't even with us. Whatever. They start to do this. They're like, we're going to celebrate the festival. The festival of tabernacles. Now, again, let's go just a bit deeper. You got this in you. I know you got this in you. If your kids have to go to school and learn, you got this, okay? That if you want to learn this about this festival, you're going to have to look at another book in the Old Testament. Anybody know what that book is? The book of, you ready? You're going to get so nervous. Leviticus. If you, if you know nothing about the Bible, it's a good day. Because when you hear Leviticus and you learn about the Bible, you're like, oh my goodness, that, I'm never reading that book. I'm never, I took that book out of my Bible. I tore it out. You didn't, but it's hard to read. Because in the book of Leviticus, we have a hint of what happens on the festival of tabernacles. Let me read it for you. Because you're not going to go read it, right? <laughs> and you shall take for yourselves on the first day the fruit of beautiful trees, branches of palm trees, the bough of leafy trees and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice. You shall dwell in booths, these many tents that they made for seven days, that your generations may know that I made the children of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. This is what they're going to do. They're going to get all the stuff that they have, the side, the, all the things that represent God's prosperity on them, trees that are growing, food that's growing. They're going to get it all. And then they're going to make for themselves these little tents, like rinky-dink, booths, right? And they're going to live in there to know that even when they had nothing, God was with them. Even when they had no idea where they would go next, God was faithful. They said, if this is going to work in Jerusalem, if this is ever going to make sense, if this is really God about to change things, we got to help everybody go back to where it all began. For the next few weeks, I'm going to encourage you, if you're watching online, if you're here, to think about where it all began with you and God. Where did it all begin? With you and God. Where were you the first time you, you sensed that your life needed to change? Were you alone? Were you in a crisis? Where it all began. If you want to see a couple's eyes light up, ask them when they first fell in love. I have a wedding coming up soon for a couple at our church. And I said, well, tell me how you first met. And they're like, oh, I don't know. It's so nice. <laughs> so nice. He loved me from high school. He loved me from forever. Okay, nobody cares. Okay, hurry up. So, but, but it's like just to remember where, where, where love started does something. And we love to do that with our relationship. But every so often God says, we're going to do it as it relates to my relationship with you. Where did this all begin? Why are you here? We're going to go back to where it all began, where God started to show you 
that if he was not the center of how you lived your life, if worshiping him and being the people of God that were a visible representation of God's faithfulness didn't matter, that he began to show you this is what your life is going to mean now. If you hate change, meeting Jesus would have been your worst nightmare because he would have been like, this is where it all begins. I still remember where I was, where I started to realize that no one in my family really was following God and yet God was quietly, I don't think I heard a magical voice, but I had a sense that things were going to be different. And I, like you, ignored it. I was like, it's not for me. Nobody's going to understand. No, I'm not going to learn about the Bible at some Bible school. I'm not, I'm not doing any of this. I can't explain to my family what it means to be a leader in a church. They're going to think I'm crazy. And God's like, good luck, but you're doing this. I'm like, no! Try that, by the way, try it. Where did it all begin for you? Maybe you've forgotten where it all began. Maybe you're just kind of in the motions of religion. I'm here for my kids. I'm here because it's good for the family. I'm here because there's good values in Christianity, so I like that. And when my kids are all grown up, I can bail. Maybe that's where you're at. Let's go back to where it all began. Let's go back there. Where God said, I'm the only one that can set you free. I'm the only one that can help you understand that your life will have meaning in a way you don't see it now if you trust me and you let me change you. Where it all began. That's what they do. First task, they pick up. They go four months later. They start the foundation. They start to build. They're like, let's go back to remember when we had nothing and we were slaves and God was with us. Some of you maybe have never taken that step to say yes to God's ways because maybe you've never had the chance or you're confused or you have all these ideas about religion and it's all mixed up together. Maybe this season for you is the first time that you welcome a different kind of change where you say yes to the ways of God and you understand how Jesus fits into that and you learn with us and grow with us. Sign up for Tuesday night. It's something that will help you. But I want to help you understand that when we go back to where it all began, we, know, we not only remember how God loved us, we don't only remember why we said yes to him in the first place, but we start to realize that we know people who don't love God and have not taken that step. It's like how when a couple meets each other and they think about when they fall in love and they think about that day when they shared ice cream for the first time, blah, blah, and then they think about, I can't wait to have a family. I can't wait for this love to kind of connect with others, to tell others, to experience this with others. It's very natural. It's almost the same when we understand our faith in Jesus. Because at some point in my own life, not only did I go back to when it all began in my faith with God, next week we're going to help you understand where it all, when we go all the way back where it all began when the 180 started. I want to show you a picture that I always look at at this time of year. This is about five and a half years ago when we sensed that God was saying it's time for you to change everything you're doing. You're going to move from where you live you're going to learn to sacrifice with others, and you're going to start a new church somewhere in Quebec. Well, we knew it was somewhere in Montreal, the greater Montreal region. This, this warehouse space, there's boxes everywhere. That view of that stage right there was coming in through that room, and the stage was up against that wall. Those little lights under there that were hanging under there, they were like those cool lights. They looked so cool at the time. We're like, this is so great. Our projector was all broken, so it looked like snowflakes. We had no idea what we were doing. 
making mistakes. Every, probably every week I went to bed, I'm like, this is never going to work. It's never going to work. This is crazy. I'm just going to keep going. I just keep going. Just keep remembering. This is where it all began. And God was good. And he was faithful. And he went ahead of you. And he provided. It's where it all began. Not just for me. Not just for the church, but for you. There's people that this year will be the day, the year that they remember this is where it all began with God. You know why? Because you spoke to them. Because you shared your story about how it all began with you that they said, I want to understand this more. Where is this God that you talk about? Where is this faithful one that can be with us when everything is falling apart? Who is he? Well, let me just tell you where it all began with me. Next week, we celebrate our, our five-year anniversary as our church. So if you can make it a priority to be with us. I asked our staff if we can have cake. They said no. So obviously, I hired the wrong staff. So we're getting rid of them. We're getting new staff by next week. We're going to have a whole new staff. <laughs> I don't know. They said something about COVID, whatever, something about that. But we'd love for you to be a part of that. And we're going to kind of pay attention again to how change is a good thing. How God's faithfulness comes to us as we step out and say, yes, we'll go. We're not sure, but, but you've always been with us. And you've always provided. And some of you, this is the year that you take that step to go just a bit further. Just a bit further where you commit more than to just like an idea of being a Christian when you're free, but you say, this is the year. We packed up and we walked for four months because this was real for us. Because God promised us he would be faithful in good times and bad times. And we began to trust. No magical formula. You just have to take that step and do it for the first time. I'm going to invite you to stand and I'm going to pray for you. If you go back and you read these first few chapters of Ezra, we'll get to Nehemiah soon. They're kind of right around the same time. They're going to have a lot of problems. There's going to be a lot of opportunities in these two books for people to go back to Persia and be like, I'm done with this. This is ridiculous. Just like you and I. There'll be a lot of reasons next Sunday for you to stay home. There'll be a lot of things that come up between now and Tuesday night for you to not learn and go deeper. It's, it's not rocket science. Trust me, there will. You just have to decide to say, this is going to matter more. Because growing in this way is the only thing that helps me understand that God always calls me deeper before he takes me further. Just, there's no way around that. You just have to learn that. It's the principle of Scripture. So I want to encourage some of you to just think about this next season, what it means for you to welcome God's change. Not anyone else's change, but it's God who's about to stir things that you never expected. Cyrus the Great, the king of Persia, tells the people, you guys can go back now. Go, go do your thing with your God. I don't know what that looks like for you. But as you close your eyes, I'm just going to give you a second to think about the kinds of things that maybe God is already encouraging you to change, and you're resisting that. Maybe you're resisting it because you're afraid, because you're angry, because you're, you're just not sure. Would you this morning before you leave, would you just surrender that to God? Just be honest right now, just quietly. You pray. Think about the things that will keep you from changing right now. All the good excuses you're going to make. 
and say, God, when I make these excuses, would you teach me to let go and to trust you? Let's pray. Father, you're so good to us. We're so grateful for the scriptures that help us to go back and to learn and to listen and to respond in obedience when you started to change things for your people, when you started to awaken in them their need to worship you again, to commit to you in a new way so that others would see who the faithful one really is. I pray for those in this room right now who are feeling the anxieties of the fall, the pressures to be a good parent, to be a good coworker, to be a good friend, to follow the rules, to, to do all kinds of things. I pray, God, may your peace just come upon them right now. And may that peace stir them to welcome your change. May that peace give them a clear mind to know the things they should say yes to and the things they should say no to. May that peace... Give them deep roots so that they would remember this fall season as a time when they said yes to your change so that they could experience your blessings and your goodness in ways they never imagined. We ask you that you would do that in our lives with our kids and also with our church. Make us open to the surprises that you have in store for us this season. Help us as we think about next week, even thinking about just celebrating your goodness to us thus far. Help us to dream about the things that you're going to teach us about. And may we welcome those who are still not here, who are just not sure why we would still believe in a God that seems so confusing to them. We understand. And we pray all of this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Hey, we're really proud of all of you for being here for learning with us. If you're, if you're here and you have small kids, we just want to remind you, you're going to pick them up on the other side. You know this. Hey, I just want to say one other thing before you trickle off. If you're new, we'd love to say hi to you. But if you're here this morning and you just like to talk to someone, maybe just pray with someone before you go. Maybe you're not even sure how to pray and you're like, I just have this thing that I'm carrying and I, I feel alone. We have some wonderful leaders who've set time aside who are just in our prayer space, just in that back corner there. It's It's private. No, it's very confidential. You just go. It doesn't have to be long. But we want to give you the opportunity to just go and talk with them. Just pray with them. Create that space for you before you, you head out. And I promise you, as you head out, your phone is just going to ding, 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 ding. We love you. We look forward to seeing you as we grow together this fall. God bless everyone. See you soon.